Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Um, Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Harleen, for um, still leading through the migraine that you have um, and doing so well. Um, Tonight we begin, we're going to start in Jude, but we're going to kind of be all over the place in the Bible, so turn in your Bibles to Jude the book in the Bible right before the book of Revelation. It's one chapter. Um, Tonight we're going to begin a a series about the Bible itself, about the doctrine of Scripture. Tonight is a little bit of a review. Um, I've actually, this is technically a sermon I've preached before. I don't often preach old sermons, um, but I preached this sermon at the beginning of 2021. Um, But a lot of the info in it is updated, and there were only 14 people here that night. And so, for a lot of you, this is a new sermon. (laughs) Um, So this sermon is necessary as we begin this series talking about um, Scripture itself and the theology behind Scripture itself. Um, In 2020, a survey came out um, called the State of Theology. Um, It's a survey put out by Lifeway and by a ministry called Ligonier Ministries. They do this every two years. Um, So you have in your hand the 2022 version. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But um, 2020, they did it, and I think it started around 2014. And um, they do it every two years. And they select a number of Americans, um, and they get get those people from all different walks of life, different races, each gender, each, um, you know, evangelical, Catholic, non-Christians, upper class, lower class, they get all this different um, sample and they bring them together and they ask them um, a a select number of statements on Christian theology um, and ask them what what they believe. Is it true? Is it false? Do they believe it? Do they not believe it? Um, And and the survey is a broad span of Americans. And the um, questions change a little bit each year, um, each each time they do it, but most of them remain the same. Um, they, They ask 35 questions. There's not 35 on this list because I took a few of them off because they are things that um, honestly are debated among theology, um, questions that you know different Christians would have different interpretations on, but the ones that are on here all have a definite answer from Scripture that we know. Um, and so um, it, the, the answers that we see when they bring this survey together are always shocking and sobering um, because they... Um, it, it appears most of our country has no idea the truth of the Bible or doesn't believe the truth, one of the two. So this sermon tonight was necessary before. Next week we're going to start looking at what Scripture says about itself. Scripture is inspired by God. Scripture has no errors in it. Scripture is authoritative. Scripture is necessary for the Christian life, different things like that. Each is going to speak to us in very special ways, but... Um, But this sermon is necessary tonight because we need to see how this has changed in just two years. How it has changed, how much it has changed that um, people believe 
um, things about the Christian faith and how much that has altered just since 2020. And so to start out, I'm going to give you just a few minutes. I haven't filled mine out yet, so I'm going to fill mine out. But if you haven't answered these questions yet, just go ahead and answer. You're not going to be asked to tell what you said, um, but just, just, just want to see how we all do. Um, so go ahead, just two or three minutes, um, answer all these questions. And um, after, after just a few minutes, we will, um, I'll, I'll resume the sermon. Um, so go ahead and do that. Give you about a minute more. All right, just as a um, point of reference, um, I think most of these are obvious um, if you have been in church any amount of time, but um, I just want to show you kind of how, um, the, um, how, how the country has answered some of these and, um, and, and, and see how, I'm, I'm just going to give you certain ones. I'm not giving you all of them because a lot of them are obvious, 
there's one true God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, that's true. We know that. Um, but, but let me just give you some of the most shocking ones of, of what the results say. Um, and so, Chris, we're going to do these on the slides. There's nine of them. Um, God accepts the worship of all religions. In 2020, 25% of evangelicals agreed. That's people who identified on the survey as evangelicals. So they would attend a church like ours. They would claim to believe the things we believe. 2022, it had gone up to 46% of people who call themselves evangelicals say God accepts the worship of all religions. All right, let's go to the next one. Jesus is the first and greatest created being of God. In 2020, 53% of evangelicals agreed. 2022, 70% of evangelicals agreed. Um, Jesus is not a created being, in case you didn't know that. He, he is not created. He was, ha, has always existed. Um, I, I, and also, the reason this says of evangelicals is that I took the data and I just broke it down to the evangelical responses, not, the, not all the responses. So I'm just showing you what, what people in America who claim to be Christians of like faith and order to us believe. Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. 2020, 14% of evangelicals agreed. 2022, 38% of evangelicals agreed. I don't know how you can call yourself an evangelical and agree with that statement, but, but people do, apparently. I'm going to the next one. The Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. Like in Star Wars, he's the force. Um, he's not a person. Uh, he is a person. He's one of the three persons of the Godhead. Um, 36% in 2020 agreed. 22, 51% of evangelicals agreed. Over half of evangelicals believe the Holy Spirit's just a force. It's not a person. Next. The Holy Spirit can tell you to do something forbidden in the Bible. 11% of evangelicals agreed in 2020. 2022, it had gone up to 25%. A quarter of evangelicals believe the Holy Spirit can tell you to disobey the Bible. Next. Though everyone sins a little, most people are good by nature. That hadn't gone up too much, 32% in 2020, 36% uh, in 2022. Um, we, we believe in what's called total depravity, the, the depravity of man, that um, we're, we're not all good by nature. We're all sinful. We're, we're all marred by sin. We're, we're made in God's image, so we're good, but we are, um, we're, we're not good by nature. Um, because of our sin. And so that, that's not as shocking as it could have been, but, but that's where that stands. Next. Small sins do not deserve hell. It went up from 36 to 48%. Almost half of evangelicals believe small sins do not deserve hell. Now, my guess is each of them would, would, would have different opinions on what small sins are. Um, but but they, they said that it does not deserve hell. Um, next. Worshiping alone or with your family is a good replacement for attending church. It went from 27% to 39%. Not as shocking as I expected after COVID, but, um, but, but increased as well. Um, I, I think there's one more. Gender identity is a matter of choice. 15% of evangelicals in 2020, up to 32%. In 2022, 32% of evangelicals believe you can choose your gender. Um, all of these increased in the amount of people that were wrong in two years. All of these increased 
with the amount of people of wrong belief, wrong doctrine in two years. This is very clear evidence that doctrine among evangelicals is way off. Very often we have left doctrine up to the pastor and the seminary professor um, to our detriment. I hear people say a lot, you know, I don't really care about the differences in denominations. I, I just love Jesus and I want to follow him and I don't really think the differences matter all that much. But they do. And the, the, the answers to doctrinal questions, the answers to the statement of the Christian faith, that matters. We're going to get into why tonight. It matters what we believe. It matters where we stand on certain, on all the doctrinal issues. It matters what we believe. Um, what we believe about doctrine matters a lot to how we live our Christian life. What you believe influences what you do. It's not enough to simply love Jesus. What if it's the wrong Jesus? What if it's the Jesus that 38% of evangelicals say is not God? What if it's the Jesus that 70% of evangelicals say is a created being, has not existed forever? So after the 2020 results, I decided um, back then through, through prayer, I didn't want our church to, to fall into those negative statistics. So I set out in 2021, if you remember, that for eight years I was going to preach a sermon series each year, working through each of the eight categories of Christian theology. So um, 2021 I did um, Who is God? Last year I did um, the, uh, What is Salvation? Um, and the, this year we cover What is the Bible? What is the Bible? What does it mean that Scripture is inspired and without error? What books belong in the Bible? And why are some there and not others? Um, what's the story of Scripture? Why is it crucial to, to love God's Word? Um, so many things like that. I'll go ahead and tell you that unless something changes, next year I'm planning to um, preach um, what, what, what is Mankind. Super important for our time. It deals with how God created us and um, what it means that we're made in his image. It deals with topics of marriage and gender and race and government and so many things like that. Uh, you need a biblical worldview on all these things. There's four other categories in Christian theology that I haven't covered. Um, who is Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? What is a church? And what will happen in the future? Those are the other four categories. Um, why does this matter? Because I've just been hammering home that what you believe matters, but, but, but why? Why does it matter what I believe? Why, why can't I just pray to receive Jesus and attend church and go about my life and leave all the deep stuff up to the, up to the you know, professors? Well, I'm going to answer that question with several reasons. Um, the first is that theology, what you believe, is the study of the God you follow. We want to know our God as deeply as possible. We, we will not know everything when we get to heaven one day. We will spend all of eternity getting to know our God better because he's infinite. He's infinite. There will be more and more of him to learn and know about forever. Hosea, as I prayed earlier, Hosea 6.3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Philippians 3, Paul says the goal of his life is to know Christ more and more. If we will spend eternity getting to know our God more and more, we should start now. We should start now. But a big one, Jude chapter, well, Jude 1, um, verses 3 and 4, where, we, where I said we would start in the scripture. Um, Jude 3 and 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you 
to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and denying of our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude is telling them, uh, I, I was planning to write just a normal letter telling you about our, our salvation, but I hear that people have crept into your church and they're teaching wrong doctrine and it's leading to all forms of perversion in your church. Uh, people are believing the wrong things and it's really messing up how they live their lives, how they walk in holiness. Um, that, that's what they're doing. Why? Well, when they do it, it goes about into sensuality and denying of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Well, it's the U.S. in the past couple decades, isn't it? What have we seen in the U.S. in the last few years, last couple decades? We've seen the denial of the value of the unborn because often people want no consequence to their freedom. We've seen the legalization of same-sex marriage. We've seen increased confusion about gender. We've seen, um, we, we, we've seen so many other things. So many other things like that. That sort of thing doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. That's been brewing for decades. Where um, it started when we stepped away from false doctrine. Where that no longer became important. And as time went on, as false teachers crept in, as all kinds of people got megaphones and could announce what they believed, and, and especially with the advent of the internet, how it could spread so rapidly, um, you get to this place where... People hear false doctrine, and it gives them the freedom to go into perversion, and they embrace it. Because correct doctrine prevents me from being able to do that. So today, you have the LGBTQ revolution, you have abortion rampant, you have 70% of adults who say it's okay for an unmarried couple to live together, even if they never plan to get married. Scripture is clear all over the place. Bad doctrine leads to perversion, and sensuality. But then, another place, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Flip over there. 2 Timothy 4. These are probably the last words Paul ever wrote, or at least the last words we have in Scripture that he wrote. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, he finishes up his um, writings. Um, he's in prison here. He's going to die in just a couple years at the most. And while he's in prison, he writes to his two apprentices, Timothy and Titus. And Second Timothy is probably the last one that he wrote. And so he's near the end of his life. He knows he's about to die. And he's writing the last words he, he's ever going to say to the man that he calls his son in the faith. And what does he say to him? Second Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. He tells Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Timothy is a pastor at the church in Ephesus. Um, it's the church that the book of Ephesians is written to. It's the church that is uh, mentioned in the book of Revelation. Timothy's the pastor at that church at this time. And um, at, at the end of Paul's life, he can tell Timothy anything. He knows this is probably the last thing he'll ever write to this guy. He can tell him anything, and what does he remind him? What's the thing that he tells him to do? He says, 
preach the word. Teach what it says. Why? Because that's the most important thing Timothy can do. Because there's going to be a time that comes when false teachers creep in and destroy the church. There will come a day when false teachers come in not teaching sound doctrine. And he says they will lead many astray. That is, people will be following the truth. They'll get led astray. And then they're no longer at church. And then they're no longer following Jesus. And they basically live their life like they don't even know him. And maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. And maybe this just proves it. Again, doesn't sound too different from our day, does it? They will stop listening to the truth. And any random Facebook post will form what they believe. You have to know correct doctrine to counter false teaching. So pastors here, Timothy specifically, but me and any other person who stands in a pulpit, are charged to preach the word in season and out of season so that people know what the word says. Um, I, I would add to this uh, reasons that you need to know what you believe and, and why we, we need to stand on truth and, and teach doctrine. Um, worship. Worship. If you don't have a magnificent God who is far greater than you could ever comprehend, you will not worship. You, you will not worship. You will not worship a God that is just like you. You will not worship a God who is not perfect, who is not beautiful who you graduate from after you leave Kingdom Kids. The bigger view you have of God, the greater you will worship Him. Doctrine makes or breaks worship. This means that we should want theologically rich and theologically accurate songs sung in church. Um, worship, salvation, salvation. Doctrine is important to salvation. It's been promoted in America for a long time that getting saved is as simple as repeat this prayer after me and every head bowed, every eye closed, like a magical incantation, and you get eternal life forever. And that kind of thinking has led millions of people in America thinking they're Christians because at one time in, that, in their life, they repeated a prayer like a magical incantation. That's why every person in South Georgia says they're a Christian, but they don't love and follow Jesus today. In fact, they live like Jesus doesn't exist, but they prayed a prayer at some point because they don't have a correct doctrine of what salvation is. We need to be honest and point them to Scripture and say, uh, the Bible's version of salvation is more commitment than that. The Bible presents salvation as being born again, like becoming a completely new person with new desires, new joys, new loves. And then from that point on, God does a work in that person through the Holy Spirit. We preach biblical salvation, not silly incantation that it has to be made if we want people biblically saved. So many other things of why we need to know sound doctrine. Um, marriage and parenting. Look, if you don't understand the fullness of the doctrine of God's love, you will not love your spouse as Christ loves you. You will not parent your kids in the way that God parents you. The more we understand God's love in the gospel, the more you understand his purposes for your family. That's why theology matters every day. Or church life. Church life. We've actually been surprised in, in our church overall. Um, our fear was that many people would, wouldn't come back to, to church after COVID, but would just watch online. Um, honestly, the people who haven't come back to church don't watch online. They just aren't back. But most people are back. And the people who watch online are mostly shut-ins that can't be here. Um, 
But, but that was a worry in every church after COVID of, well, we're broadcasting. We all became televangelists overnight, so are people going to not come to church anymore and just watch it on Facebook? That was a worry. Because people may have a bad doctrine of what church is and thinking that just watching a worship service on stage is a replacement for actually being with God's people gathered together, which is what true doctrine says to do. Or suffering. Suffering. You need to know good, sound doctrine for the purpose of dealing with suffering in your life, which we're all going to face. If you don't have the right view of heaven and eternity, the right doctrine about, um, about heaven and eternity, um, you will face nothing but despair as you suffer. Be it cancer or family strife or persecution or whatever. Romans eight eighteen, Paul said, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. I read an article once about... Um, uh, the difference in hymns and contemporary music, which I, I love both, but, um, but both are still being written today. Um, hymns are not just a thing of the past. There's people writing hymns today. Um, w- last week when we did our top ten hymns, um, most of the songs that we sung were, were from at least you know 70 years ago, but In Christ Alone is a 2001 song, so that was written with, within the 21st century. Um, they're still being written today. Um, but one of the things the, this article talked about, the difference in hymns and um, contemporary music is that um, a, a good amount of contemporary music um, never mentions heaven. Never, never mentions heaven. Why might that be? Because a good amount of contemporary music is written by people younger than 40. And when you're under 40, you're often not thinking about eternity very much unless you're like preaching funerals all the time like me. But most people under 40 are not thinking about death and not thinking about eternity. And so the songs that they write are going to um, reflect only how I feel in this life and not look ahead to the next one. This doesn't mean contemporary music's bad. I love a lot of it, but, a, but, but we have to be discerning with it. Because if you listen and sing music that rarely mentions eternal hope for 10 years in your church, if that's all you sing for 10 years and you never sing about um, eternity in your church, well, 10 years later, you grow, you've grown and matured Christians who never think about eternity. Because what we sing um, teaches our heart and, 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 and guides our doctrine. And when suffering comes 10 years later... You have no future hope to dwell on as your suffering gets worse. You, you need good doctrine on everything. And then there's missions. Um, doctrine is so important to missions. Do any of you look at younger people and think, um, why are they fighting for so many godless causes? What, why are all these kids that were raised in church doing things opposite of what the church is for? Why are they fighting to defund the police? And why are they fighting to advance the gay rights agenda? And why are they advocating for abortion rights? Why, like, we, we saw these kids grow up in youth group, and we saw these kids you know, go through vacation Bible school. Like, 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 why are they all of a sudden, once they get out of high school, starting to you know, go so nuts? What, why? Well, I'd say three things. First, all of our grandparents probably thought that about each of us at some point. Um, Maybe we didn't fight for godless things, but but many in in each generation do. And so the the older generation always looks at the younger generation and thinks every one of them is going off the rail. Um, But as they grow up, they mature. Secondly, a percent of what young people are fighting for is good. 
We should absolutely seek justice for the oppressed. I'm for that. Just often the justice movement today is different from biblical justice, and it's a balancing act. Like on the issue of race, um, you can fall into one of either two ditches on that, either thinking there's no racism in America whatsoever or thinking every problem in the world stems from racism. Um, Both of those are ditches you don't want to fall into, and often people have. But thirdly, and probably most important, is a doctrinal reason. They're doing what they've been taught often. They're living out the doctrine they were taught. Like, I was in youth group 15 years ago, or something like that. I'm losing count of when that was. But um, I remember what I was taught at youth camp. I wasn't taught to fulfill the Great Commission, as Jesus told, to, to go and make disciples of all the nations, teach them all things Jesus commanded. I was taught simply, make a difference. Be a difference maker. Very often, that's what kids in the church have been taught. Make a difference. Leave your mark on the world. Be a blessing to somebody. Change the world. That's it. They haven't been taught what any of that means, biblically speaking. So when they're taught, make a difference in the world, but they're not taught what that means biblically to do what doctrine says making a difference is, the world will define for them what it is that they will define for them what making a difference is. And they've been taught very well at church to make a difference, and they believe that, and that's in their bones. And so when a problem comes, they will latch onto it and do it because that's what they were taught. But they weren't taught how to make a difference. So they will see a police officer unlawfully suffocate George, George Floyd to death, and they'll be outraged by it, as they should be, as we all should be. And um, they will, um, they, they'll listen to what the world says about that, and they'll start telling us to defund the police. Because that's what the world tells them. That's how you make a difference. Do you see how doctrine works out here? Or, or lack of doctrine? Because what you believe, doctrinally, will affect every part of your life. Everything that people do in life, from the smallest thing, like whether or not they check their cell phone right when they wake up in the morning, to a big thing like causing a mutiny in the government. Like that's, they're, they're all theological things. They're all, they all stem out of what we believe doctrinally. They're all acts of what we believe or don't believe. This is why it matters what you believe. It affects literally everything you do. What you believe in your head will affect what you love in your heart, which will affect what you do with your hands in your life. So, how do you learn doctrine? How do you learn correct doctrine? Maybe you say, you've convinced me, so now what? How do I sharpen up my doctrine just a hair? Um, Because I think most of you in here are are on a pretty good level when when we come to that. But um, how do you sharpen that up? Well, I mean... You can't, you can't get much better than just reading your Bible faithfully every day. You're going to encounter doctrine as you read the Bible. Become a student of the Word um, even more than you already are and learn it because you're going to learn the truth there. Um, I would recommend read good books. Where do you get these? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but I have a lot of books, so please come by my office anytime and I'll pass some to you. Um, uh, c- come by and talk to me. I love talking about this stuff. Let, let's talk. Um, more than books, though, we live in a day of countless resources. Like we've got things like Right Now Media, we've got YouTube, we've got like sermons at our fingertips. Like I can listen to you know 
10 pastors a week um, preach on my phone. Um, you couldn't do that 200 years ago. Um, you, you know, use all the resources that we have. We have a lot to grow in our faith and learn more. But I would say, m- most importantly of all, make a commitment that you're going to dive deeper into the things of God and seek to come to understand Him more. That's the start. It's less about how you do it and more about are you going to do it. You need that for the good of your soul and for the good of our church all the time. Because what we believe influences how we live. And so starting next week, we're going to um, study this book itself and what Scripture says about itself and why that's important to us. And, um, and, and, and a lot of big applications that come from what Scripture says about itself. Um, and so let me pray for us now. I've got a short announcement that I'll make, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I come to you, and I thank you that you have taught us the truth. You have revealed yourself, and you have showed us what truth is. And God, I, I thank you that, that we can know you, and we can know details about you, and we can know you genuinely. Lord, I pray that um, I pray that you'd help us press on to know you. Lord, I pray that you would um, direct our steps. Lord, as we continue next week talking about your word and talking about the specifics of your word, that it's inspired, that it's inerrant, that it's um, clear to us, that it's authoritative, that it's sufficient and necessary. So many things like that, Lord. These are not just um, seminary classes. These are things we need to know. Because your word is inspired, it is breathed out by you, it's given to us. There are no errors in it, so we can trust it. It's clear to us, so we can understand it. There's authority in it, so we, we, we listen to it. So many things about your word, Lord, teach us more and more. I pray for us as we go home tonight, as it sounds like it's raining, keep us safe as we go home. And Lord, I pray that you would bless our week and help us to follow you in everywhere that we go. In Jesus' name. Amen.